You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Welcome to the show, y'all. So happy to have you here. I met today's guest in a course and deep dive sort of study group that I'm involved in on uncovering your unconscious racial bias. And it is being sponsored by another organization that I'm involved with called the Evolutionary Business Council. And whoa, has it been super fucking eye-opening and a major facilitator of some introspection and just all kinds of stuff. (laughs) And I'm during, so I'm still in the group. And one of the things that I decided to do as a result of my commitment to social justice and racial equality is to have more people of color on my show. There's a lot of great, smart, amazing people of color. And I just needed to make a little effort in order to prioritize booking them on my show. And Eva calls this inclusive consciousness. And I'm really trying to to have that in my awareness and to increase what she calls inclusive intelligence. Eva wrote a book called Intimacy of Race. How to Move from Subconscious Racism to Active active Allyship for People of Privilege. And y'all, this is not even like her main body of work. This is something that she dove into when the country was really being called to make some major changes. And I I, I bought it as soon as I I saw it, learned of it. And one of my favorite sections is uh, things white people say and shouldn't. And I'm just learning so much. I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's like, uh, I'm going to be talking about this more and more um, as I uncover and unfold and, and really I'm able to speak about it in a way that feels good and smart and conscious. <laughs> and Eva's here to talk about her high performance coaching business. She's here to talk about an um, like uh, amazing experience her and her husband went through that was super confronting about their marriage and, and, and fully informs her life now as making sure that she doesn't get to a place of burnout where she's threatening uh, the relationships in her life. So 
this isn't necessarily a, a conversation about social justice, but <laughs> when you're talking with somebody who is a person of color, that's always part of their story. And I just am now committed to talking about that part too. And uh, I do see color and I am doing what I feel guided to do to honor that aspect of my brothers and sisters of color and their journey. So I am excited to for you to get to meet Eva. She is so fun and so smart. And she goes there. I mean, she goes there. And she she's done something um, and walked through something in her marriage and come out the other side that is a catastrophic uh, relationship ending event for many, many people. And I learned a lot from just hearing how she held it and, and, and responded to it. And of course, like all of our GFO show guests, how she's now utilizing it in her work in the world. She specializes in helping busy professionals have more money, time, and success without sacrificing their health, their well-being, and their relationships in the process. And she talks about how to have it all without sacrificing it all. And I am excited also about the bonus that she did for the GFR squad, which is six ways to generate energy for your relationships in life. And it was a great little mini course on that. And if you're in the GFR squad, you will uh, get that right away um, when this episode is released. So without further ado, I want you to meet my new friend, Eva Medelik. Eva, welcome to the GFR show. Thanks, Lisa. I'm so excited to be here. I am really excited to have you here. I remember when I first met you, uh, and I talked about this in the intro in the class that we're in, and you immediately stood out. And I was like, you know, you ever, you ever like somebody just stands out. You're like, I want to like know that person. I want to like connect with that person. So that was you for me. Oh, cool. Thanks for sharing that like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and for those of you that are, are not seeing the video, which is most of you, Eva is super cute. And she has these yellow glass, yellow frame glasses that sort of match like the yellow, like accents in her office. And that also stood out. She like, she's, she looks like a fake background, but it ain't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just like admire people's style. So that would definitely, that was, that was part of it. That's I have to admit. The name of my company is style for success. So, you know, I put in both elements, not only, you know, liking style and your appearance and how you show up in the world, but really your essence, you know, your, yes, yes. Style. Yes. I used to have a brand, you don't know this about me, but I used to have a brand called juicy marketing Ooh. and yeah. And my whole thing was like, stand out, be juicy. It was like oranges and the whole thing. And even though I don't have that brand anymore, I just feel like it was so me, like the whole juicy thing just felt so me that I still like resonate with being juicy. It's still like a yeah, really great word. I, I, I think you're juicy, honey. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're off to a good start. <laughs> so I am uh, excited to share your story. Um, and, you know, a big part of your story that I'm not going to reveal uh, unless the title may already reveal it, but right away is something that not many people would talk about openly that might have shame around. And that's like, the, that is the GFR show. <laughs> it's like, it's, it, you know, if you look at all of the guests that we've had now, it's almost two years. 
every guest that is rocking it in their life and serving people and doing great things has a part of their story that they have shame around or that they might, you know, keep hidden or that they still feel like a deep, you know, wounding around. And damn it, I really believe that this shit's normal for people that are doing great things in the world. Do you, what do you think about that? I think a story not shared doesn't serve. And if you're in the service-based industry, you know, stories connect, you know, perfection doesn't connect. You know, we think it's unattainable. We don't want to try and we stress ourselves out trying to be perfect, but you know what, your story can be someone else's survival guide. And I believe it's our obligation when we're out in the world to get fucking real about our stories. I love that. Your story could be somebody else's survival guide. That's so freaking true and so awesome. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, so we know you're all about high performance and the idea that we can have sex, sex. We can have sex. No. You see it's coming out of Lisa right I know. Now. I just can't help myself. That we can have success <laughs> without sacrifice. <laughs> and I think for many people, it just feels like, no, like it just feels like that's not truth. So, so take us back to where you really like first got hit with that truth that there was a lot of sacrifice going on for you that kind of led you to where you are now. Yeah. You know, I, I started my life literally almost from the womb as a dental hygienist. I like my mother always told stories like you always love to brush your teeth and stood on the little step stool, (laughs) pull you out of the bathroom. So that's kind of my, and then they got me my first job back when we had working papers for all of you young folks out there. Ah, That's right. Working papers. I remember that. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh you know, with our family dentist. And so, you know, I spent my whole life working and being quite successful at being a dental hygienist. And when I moved to California from New York back in 2005, I would guess, you know, the, the crash happened 2008, 2010, 2010 was the year I turned 50 and I had this great job in San Francisco I had just gotten married to my husband about a year before. And right when I was planning my 50th birthday, my boss called me into her office and said, not only am I cutting your salary, I'm cutting your days. So I went to making less money and having less days to make those money. So everything was cut in half pretty much. This is still in the dental hygienist field? In the dental hygienist field. And it was scary and devastated because I had two girls in college. I just got married. My husband was a freelancer, which meant jobs weren't always um, steady and reliable and secure. And I just booked this trip to Mexico for my 50th birthday. So I felt like everything was kind of crashing around me and I started interviewing. Now, interviewing at the age of 50 is a little bit different than interviewing at the age of 30, especially when Girls are coming out of school in a recession that we were in and demanding less money. I mean, I had 30 years experience. So I had to dumb myself down, which was hard to do, and pretend that I was younger. So, well, uh, we just had this whole conversation in our in the green room. <laughs> Y'all, this is funny. So Eva, Eva said, well, you're too young to whatever. I don't even remember what we were talking about. And I, no one has said that to me in so long. I'm like, and of course, the first thing, well, how old are you? You think I'm young? I'm like, well, how old do you think I am? 
time and she said she thought I was 40 and I told her I just turned 50 and I said well how old are you and she said I'm 60 which I do not believe and for those of you that see the image of the the cover of the podcast you probably agree like I'll send you my driver's license you can put that <laughs> I believe you and, I and believe you <laughs> But, you know, you can imagine, Lisa, if you had to actually go out and start interviewing at a job at, at, at a point in your life where you want to just really enjoy your life and have the freedoms that all of your years of hard work have. Yeah, like you earned it, you know, you exactly. earned that seniority. Yeah. Yeah. And so I realized in that moment that, you know, the dreams that my husband and I had together, my husband's European, all his family lives in Germany. And... um we had this dream of maybe getting a place in Germany, spending the summers in Europe and having our place in Berlin as a home base. We were married in Berlin. And then I started thinking, well, if I'm going to be working a job, I live in America. Nobody gives anybody two months off just so they could traipse around Europe. This is true. <laughs> for the summer. So that was my first GFR moment. You know? <laughs> I've had a couple in my 60 years. So the first one was like, okay, what could I do at this age? I'm not going to go back in school. And, you know, long story short, tried some network marketing, which I wasn't, I wasn't really good at because I'm just my own, but I'll buy it all. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm one of those. You're people. a good buyer, but not necessarily a good, good seller. Buyer, but, uh, <laughs> I didn't have really good sales skills. And so I um, actually found my way into real estate and real estate investing. And I invested in coaches and mentors because at 50, you know, I needed to collapse the timelines here. You know, mm. I didn't have 20 years to figure this out. Like those years were behind me. I didn't want to be in Europe with a walker in a wheelchair. And so, you know, as we know, if you want to collapse time frames for your success and your goals, you get coaches and mentors who have been there and done that to help you along the way. So, um, you know, I spent a whole lot of money that I didn't have, maxed out every single credit card, to, to uh, I don't know if you've heard of Robert Kiyosaki and he, of course, books, yes, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I enrolled in Rich Dad Education to this, you know, a two year contract. And my husband nearly had a heart attack. Like, and this was a you newly married. It sounded like you were, yeah, at that point at 50. Yeah, we had been together for a while, but we were newly married. And, um, well, and those late in life marriages, I feel like when the people come together, they're so independent, right? You've been living independently. And so consulting each other on financial decisions, it is, isn't as much of a habit that's been yeah. like, well, we me. consulted and I had to, I know, informed him. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I didn't have much options. But I really had a clear vision that, that this could bring us passive income lifestyle. Yes, we could always trade time for money, but you know, I want to be able to enjoy my life and know that money's still coming in. And that was a clear vision. And, and it was just crystal clear to me that this was the path that would be the best for our family. Him, not so much because of the price tag. You know, we've all had clients to where they they want what you have to offer they know you can solve their problem but when it comes to pulling out the why like oh, no i can't do that and so my why and the vision that i had was a lot bigger then why not? And I was just like, how can I afford this? How can I make this work? Because I know when I make this investment I will make it work. It's like make the decision and then make the decision right because there's no crystal ball for you to know if you've made the right decision. 
but you get to work to make that be the right decision for you. And so that was kind of the first little hiccup we had, but you know what? <laughs> I made it work and we became successful and we were in it as a partnership. It was a bit of a lopsided partnership, if you can read between the lines there. And so what ended up happening was I was working as a dental hygienist because I did find a, a, oh, another you did. job. I was going to ask about that. So I was working commuting in by train, you know, telling people to floss and they weren't flossing. Hint, hint, guys, floss, please. <laughs> Your hygienist. I'm one of those people. I have to admit, I'm not a great flosser. <laughs> and, and I was running a business, you know, um, we were rehabbing houses. That's how we started out. And I was, you know, making deals, getting the, the funding for it. And here's where Superwoman Martyr comes in shopping, cooking, laundry, meal planning. I was doing it all. And so needless to say, I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, the weight of the world on my shoulders. So, you know, my neck started hurting. You were telling me you were having some neck problems and it just brought back that memory. Like I <laughs> never turned my head. I was always in some kind of physical pain from the stress in my life. I was always frustrated. So my health was failing. My mood was, you know, impacted Shitty. because I was, yeah, I wasn't that the energy that was in my space was someone who was always in the hustle and grind and did not have time. I worked in the morning. I worked at lunchtime. I didn't go to lunch with the girls. And when I came home after cooking and cleaning up, because nobody can load a dishwasher like I can <laughs> dishwasher Tetris, I can get every little corner. I believe that about you. <laughs> you know, the perfectionist was still there. And then I would study again and study different, um, you know, real estate investing, um, acquisition strategies and exit strategies and um, left a little time for fun because I felt the urgency of having a goal, but also my age was creeping up on me. And so you know, and I had to prove to my husband that the $45,000 that I invested, I made that back in the first deal, first of all. And second of all, I had to prove to him that I wasn't going to plunge into debt and bankruptcy. I had to make this, this work. So there was so much stuff happening there. And so our communication got a little bit um, strained. Yeah. No. And can I interrupt you and just ask you, so I got like the picture and I could feel the tension and the, just the harriedness and the, like all, all of that, that, and that wanting to prove to him that you, you know, made the right decision, all that. What from your childhood contributed to this, this, like really dr this driving nature that you had and uh, like what, yeah, I'm just like, ask you, like, have you thought about that i'm sure you have because you're an introspective person but like what in your upbringing contributed to that the pushing the pushing that you were able to endure you know, and that's a really good question and it's, it's a lot of the work that i do with my clients too but there was a little bit of you know i i do this thing with my clients where there's the relationship personality styles from our early life experience and Mine was more of um, wanting the connection and the approval of being successful, but also avoiding some of the emotion 
of the hard stuff. And so I was a little bit more of a push pull. My dad was more of someone who worked hard, worked two jobs, never was really present in the family life unless he was sleeping. Yeah, he was in the easy chair fast asleep until he had to go to his next shift. He was a police officer, but he also had another job so that I could go to private school and, you know, and we could have the house and, and all of that stuff. So, you know, I think that was what I modeled after because I was just work. It was two jobs I was working. I was building my own business and working as a dental hygienist. But I also have that bit of perfectionism that, um, you know, of wanting things just so which my parents, neither one of them had. Ah, oh, so it was one of those, I don't want to, I want to be different than my parents kind exactly, of thing. Exactly, exactly. It was one of those, they were the role models of what I didn't want. I did not want a messy house. I did not want, you know, stuff all over the place. I wanted, you know, nice stuff, you know, all of that stuff. And um, so, yeah, there was, there was quite a, a few things that I learned about myself, you know, later on after the second GFR moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, we're, yeah, we're going to get to that one. And so your girls were college age when you got laid off, you said they were, or they are in college already when you got laid off when around yeah, the age of I think I had one, one at who I, I wasn't laid off. I was downsized. I, I would say, you know, cause I was still working like a day or two a week yes. and I ate it four days. So I had to supplement. Um, yes. Yeah. One in college but who was at home and in college going to the local one. And the other one was in DC in college. So yeah. yeah how long were you a single mother? They were three and six. Wow. So, and I say, wow, because mm-hmm. single mothers are badasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my sister's a single mother and it's, it is, Wow. I'm just impressed every day with what she can accomplish and, you know, and, all of that. And so like, I think, I think too, like, you know, when you're in that mode of like, I'm going to provide for my kids, like I'm it, I'm their person. I'm going to provide their kids. I'm, you know, I'm their number one person. It's like you go in, in my experience through my sister and with my clients that are in this, have been in or in that position. It's just a, it's like a green go light all the time Mm -hmm. and a bit of survival. It's a like denying whatever, rest you might desire. It's just like, you just do what you need to do. And to shift in a different, into a different gear is extraordinarily difficult, you know, to, to get to a place. I have a client right now who, you know, she was a mother at 15 and was caring for her mother and her kid, like, you know, through most of her life. And now her kid's grown, she's single. And she, and she's like, I just like, she's wanting to just completely like shift into a whole different mode of being in life. And it's, mm-hmm. and, and I, and I, and I feel like what you're going to share about your other GFR moment was a, a big catalyst for, for that change. Would you agree? Yeah. You know, I was on a mission to, I went into a lot of debt to bet on myself and my success. And, um, and I wasn't supported. So I had no choice but to do it all myself. And I knew once I became successful, he would become a, come on board. And there's another aspect to that, to where, you know, I made the decision. I paid for any, everything on my personal credit cards. I remember that moment where I was $100 short 
to pay that $35,000 in full. I paid an extra 10,000 for another coach later, but, and I looked at him and I was like, can you at least spot me the last hundred? Wow. You know, and, and then we became successful. And what was happening internally for me was he was bragging about our success. Mm. You know, he'd go to Europe and visit his family and all of a sudden it's what we're doing, what we're doing. And you know what? He was involved, but it was like pulling somebody like, come on, we can do this. There was a lot of pull. And then we became successful to the point where um, we were inducted into the Rich Dad Education International Hall of Fame. Nice. Um, because I had my five-year plan of goals and we made them all in four years. We were even on uh, House Hunters International together. When oh, fun. Our, when we bought our, um, our place in Berlin, like all of this, like I was the driver. I was the initiator and he was just in all of the glory of it. And so resentment built in me. Yeah. You know, even though he's my person to, to have this experience with, I didn't feel acknowledged for what I had to go through, the hard work and the lack of support from him. Initially. Yes, yes. And I was thinking about your relationship with your parents and there wasn't a lot of acknowledgement there either for all your hard work and accomplishments. Like, and to have an, uh, a, you know, a male figure in your life who was also not acknowledging, like that's, it, it, it creates a dynamic within us where we're just like, mm-hmm. you know, it's now it's for me. Like, you know, I'm just, I got to do this for me, but there's still, you know, my parents are down the street. I like look out the window. They're literally down the street. And I just think about, you know, the, my relationship with them today is like, they're different people. So I have to like, think about my childhood father, my childhood mother, where yeah, yeah. Too, it, it I was just changed. Yeah. And they've always been like seriously proud of the the job I've done raising their grandchildren. And um, you know, it was just expected to 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 be good. Like it was, uh, you know, I was just always a good I mean, I went to Catholic school from like kindergarten to high school. Like it could have gone either way, Eva. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, and I had my moments, trust me, okay, there was good. no angel here, but you know, I always had a sense of, you know, rising above and you know, being better and, and making them proud. But I've never felt that my voice in general, you know, and part of that has to be with being the only black in almost every situation in my life, (laughs) you know, not having um, a loud enough voice, whether it's intentionally, intentionally or subconsciously, there's always been that. And, um, you know, your listeners maybe not be aware, but my husband is also white. And so the assumption when I was doing all of these real estate deals, if we showed up together, they always deferred to him. Oh. Contracts were always written in his name. Oh. So, you know, 99%, and a lot of that had to do with me being a woman, you know, as a minority, but a minoritized woman as well. And so, you know, it's just like, it says president on my business card. Why are you like addressing everything to him? Like, you know, and I don't want to throw him under the bus at that time, but he didn't even want to and want to be here right right (laughs) I find the deals I find the money for the deals I am in the classes learning how to structure the deal so that we're profitable yeah he's along for the ride he designed our logo 
<laughs> yeah. He's artsy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I mean, so you're, you're like, it's building. I feel like tension's building, right? Because he's, you know, you're feeling resentful because he didn't want to even be in this. And now he's like bragging to his family about your success. And then you show up to the deals and the, uh, the other people are not recognizing yeah, that you're the one the, at the of helm. Of course it's the white guy. Of course it's his Mercedes. Yeah. No, yeah. it's my Mercedes. He, he yes. never owned a car. So there's all, you know, there is a, a perfect storm. Yes, totally. And I'm so glad you brought up the, the, you know, the aspect of being a person of color because, you know, we were talking about uh, being young and, you know, in, in situations that we, you and I've had a, a similar experience of being the youngest. Then when you're a young woman, you know, I, I call it the, who's this chick, you know, kind of phenomenon <laughs> that I would like, that's what the, you know, I would walk into situations and men would be with their arms folded in front of them and be like, who is she? You know, cause I, of course was, didn't keep my thoughts to myself. You know, I always like contributed and, and so I get that. And then adding in being a minoritized, you know, woman who of, you know, it's just, it's I, yeah. Perfect storm. Okay. So what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say that, you know, um, I wore my resentment. It wasn't hidden. It maybe mm. wasn't verbalized, to be honest, but the energy, the aura around me was frustration, resentment. Why mm. do I have to do, you know, if you've ever had a teenager, why do I have to do everything? I just asked you to empty the dishwasher, not to pay the mortgage. Like, come on. You know, I had that little teenage attitude. The teenage <laughs> attitude. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and there was always frustration. And his response is to run from it. So, you know, whenever I needed help in the office, well, I got to go on a bike ride, I have to do this. And so I noticed that, you know, our communication was full of um, tension and prickly at best. So we got some therapy, you know. And how I, many years now is it from like the start of the investment in the real estate and doing all that? How many years of real estate? That's her thinking noise, everyone. <laughs> or seven at this point okay okay yeah it might be six or seven at this point and we are, we grew up in different cultures and his culture in europe and, and in germany specifically going to therapy wasn't anything he wanted to do and but he agreed and i thought we'd just learn how to communicate better and you know he felt the therapist was on my side and so that made our relationship a little bit worse and um you know and we did some some personal development um weekends and trainings and we just really we tried yes we tried and i thought we were on a really good path in in figuring it out and we went to mexico for you know just a honeymoon to reconnect one year and um when we came back, he was walking the dog and I wanted to look for some photos of another real estate project that, because one of the things I did was give him more control of the real estate. And I just took that pressure off of me and decided to share it more. Number one, to have him see how much work I was doing. And number two, I'm a control freak. And so the growth opportunity for me was to be okay with mistakes and, uh, and mess ups that will happen as he's learning, just as I made mistakes as I was learning. And so I picked up his phone and um, was opening up to, to find the photos. And it was that moment of opening up the phone where I looked at some of the text messages and my heart 
just really dropped to my stomach. And I knew that, wow, everything I worked for could be lost because I found evidence of my husband's affair. And, you know, emojis are universal language. Most of the texts were in German, but you know the emojis, you know the photos. <laughs> and that was the moment that I knew that this breakdown, this major breakdown could either lead us to break up or have an amazing breakthrough. Yes. And I remember thinking that, wow, if we're able to get through this and I don't know how, because I was literally shaking like a leaf. Like, and you're talking about, this was your immediate thought. Like he's still out for his whatever walk or I can't remember exactly yeah, what he, yeah. yeah. And you're looking at this phone and you're seeing these texts and you're getting and my heart clear. Is thumping through my chest and having these conversations with myself. And I thought, okay, this could really make a really good story. <laughs> That's amazing. About how we broke, like, seriously, I went into coach mode on myself because here's the thing, Lisa, he's not a bad person. You know, there are some guys who are just assholes and I'm like, okay, here's proof that he's an asshole and it's time to move on. He's got some asshole moments but he's really one of the most integrous people I know. And my immediately thought was, wow, Eva, how much of a bitch were you that this guy, this is me being hard on myself, wow. that this guy chose to self-sabotage in that way. I mean, there were myriad of thoughts going through my brain, but that was, I shared the responsibility in this breakdown. So, you know, let's, we got to see what happens. We got to yeah. see what happens after this. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, one of my uh, former guests, her name is Cinder Ernst, and she has a, a terminal cancer diagnosis that she's living with, and she has a couple more years, and she's the most effervescent person you'll ever meet. And she said that she always asked herself, what if this was the best thing that ever happened to me, regardless of whatever's going on? And I've like totally adopted that. And, and, and I say it, and sometimes it sounds like fucking ridiculous for like whatever, you know, certain things and certain things it's like, yeah, yeah. What if this was the best thing that ever happened to me? And I, so I feel like that's, you know, essentially what you did was like, like there's going to be good shit if we get through this or, you know, there could be some good shit. So that's, I mean, it just says so much about you to not just go to anger right because it's like you said you know when we were talking about this earlier I I had asked you I'm like well how was the intimacy you know like what happened after that and and what did you say well you know that night was rough (laughs) (laughs) he was on the couch (laughs) you know because it was shock it was a punch in the gut he would literally if you had told me and i and i tell all of my friends this if you had told me eva you're gonna grow a third eye in the middle of your head (laughs) or your husband's gonna cheat on you i was i would call my eyelash girl i'm like okay how much for three (laughs) and not two because I'm getting a third eye and I really wanted to have, you know, my extension eyelashes put on yesterday. Yeah. Um, You're so funny. But really that's what I I was saying up to that point. Like he was the last thing ever, ever, ever on my mind. And, you know, when in previous relationships, you know, I had had, you know, I remember when I met my husband and I told him, I said, I've been dating a lot of men. I have different men for different needs. 
but you are the one man that has all my needs. Wow. And that was it for me. Cause I was never real. I was just dating, you know? And so, okay, this guy was good for trips. This guy was good for dinners, you know? Yes. You know, like all kinds of things. So my point in that is, and I'll, and I'll get to your question is that we did talk about it when he came home and we sat on the couch and I confronted him and the dog just snuggled in between us. And I was so grounded in wanting to have information but not yelling and screaming because I realize that, you know, when you know somebody as many years as I knew my husband, that he was hurting from the way I was being. And maybe, you know, the, the pressure of having a successful uh, driven spouse can put on another person who doesn't have that drive to make that success. Like I make shit happen. You know, I make shit happen. And I was raised that the superpower of being a black woman is the resilience, is the endurance, is the ability to make shit happen against a lot of odds and a lot of things being against us in general. And that's who I am, not necessarily who he is. And so, you know, I always say that the dog never woke up as we were (laughs) having this conversation. And usually, if I'm on the phone with one of my daughters, she's right there as an emotional support animal. It's like, okay, which one of my big sisters is upsetting you today, mommy? Like, I got you. And I'm <laughs> licking you. But she was just as calm and settled, which meant that, you know, I, it made me feel good that she wasn't upset about it. You know, I'm more concerned about my dog than my human children, obviously. But as we talked about it and learned about each other more, you know, we went on a hike the next day. And just as you were asking me about what part of my childhood, you know, formed my habits, patterns, beliefs, and behaviors that I brought into my relationships, I was asking my husband that, you know, to get real about his childhood, which he says was perfect. You know, parents, perfect, sisters, perfect, vacations, perfect. And as we started talking, he opened up more and I got to see some of the feelings that he may have been experiencing in the marriage that was reminiscent of some of the ways he was shut down in his childhood where his opinion didn't matter, where he didn't matter, where he didn't have a voice or say much like I took over the business and, 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 and built the business that way. And so as we were hiking and we were getting over some cliffs and stuff and I'm like, Oh, I watched too much Dateline. He could push me over. And I'll never know. You have watched him a little glimpse into my my mind at the time, but you know, and my heart and compassion opened up to him, uh, bigger than it ever had. Was he surprised by that? Was he like bracing himself for a different reaction? No, because we've. I don't know. I don't know. I never really asked that question, so I don't want to speak for him. But just know that. I held space for him. He held space for me. We held space for each other. And that's why we were able to really increase the intimacy in our relationship while we were going through, uh, trying to break through the, the mobilizing event in our marriage, so to speak, and um, to see where this would lead us. And so we immediately went to um, one of our coaches in leadership who was having a relationship workshop you know, that weekend that we flew down to San Diego for, and we was like, this is a situation. And my husband was going back to Germany where this, this woman was to see her, 
you know, or just in the hopes of seeing her. And so, you know, there was a lot of stuff that we had to navigate and the trust was broken, but, you know, we did what the coach, you know, we actually followed the coaching and that brought us to a place where, you know, I feel we are closer than ever. We don't live in the past. We um, don't worry about the future. We really stay in present creation and have this really amazing support of whatever each other wants to do. I don't know. It's just morphed into something better than what we had before. Nice. Very, very nice. And how, so how long has it been since then? And you know, that memory just popped up on Facebook. I think it was 2017. Okay. I think it's four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's essential for married people to allow resets. Um, and m- my husband and I have been together 26 years and we had a major reset between 24 and 25. And we did a deep dive relationship uh, course. We had, we knew there was stuff but whoa, <laughs> you know, it, it was like, we, we, one of the things that we actually wound up like intentionally working on that was an invitation from the experience we were in. And it was a year long. So it was like from 24 to 25, like that year on its way to 25 was this co- this year long course. And it was, uh, 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 other couples and, um, and was, was a, like, a like, a setting intentions for like going forward and like a clean slate. Like the invitation was like, you're, especially we were 23 when we got married. Right. And so it's sometimes hard to let the person like be a completely different person. Like you never liked beats before. Now you like beats. Like, of course, that's a a very simple uh, example, but, but it's like that on a macro scale. And so it sounds like you guys got a, got a chance to create a reset, like to do it differently, you know, yeah. gave yourselves a second chance. Yeah, we did. You know, we always use the, um, the real estate metaphor. We had to, you know, just tear down the house and build it anew from the foundation up. And so we really set a, a stronger foundation for us to build, build a new house on. And that's, you know, that's why I'm really grateful for that experience because I don't know, you know, how we would have been if we hadn't had that, if we hadn't had an opportunity to demolish and rebuild. And so I'm I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the lessons learned. I'm grateful that I can share what I've learned about me, what I've learned about communication in relationships, uh, asking for what I need instead of resenting what I'm not getting, you know, like so many layers to all of that. Oh, yes, yes. And it's so freeing to be able to, to love what is, you know, because we're mostly disappointed when our expectations aren't met. And I had high expectations of of everybody. I remember one coach I was working with at the time, and it's funny, I hired her uh, just, just as a life coach for myself. And right when we started was when this happened, I was like, okay, your role just shifted. (laughs) Yeah, your role just shifted. And, you know, I was so grateful that I had built a support network around me to where nobody was allowed in my space that man bashed. 
or mm. bashed my husband or did that girl, you should leave him. You should burn his clothes, make sure he doesn't get, you know, like none of that was allowed in my space. Nice. And even when I talked to my children about it, because they had to know, you know, I was going to ask about that. <laughs> you know, it was interesting how each girl had a different reaction. You know, my older daughter, you reached out to, to my husband and said, look, you know, you're my stepdad and I love you and just know I'll love you no matter what. And my youngest daughter just said, you know, mom, I just need a little bit more time before I can reach out to him. And, you know, they each gave themselves what they need in, in the space, but I didn't, didn't really hide it from anyone, but intentionally built a community around myself that was so supportive, you know, many couples get through this and, you know, whatever you need, I will support you. And, you know, nobody looked at him as a bad person. And that was so important to me. And I was really careful who I told if I thought for one second, you'd be like, how could he do that? I'm like, I'm not a victim here. You know, we each take a hundred percent responsibility for our part in this. There's no 50, 50 in this relationship. We each own a hundred percent of this nice. relationship. And so, and that's how we approached it. And, you know, it was funny how um, my husband said to me one day, and I was just talking to him about maybe a client or something, not in detail. And he says, you know what? Cause I was really focusing on women in midlife at, at that point and the real estate. And he, she goes, you need to do relationships because I was a hot mess and look what you did for me. And, Ooh. you know, one of the first things and we even talked about it, I said, honey, I would have to share our story if I really went down that path and you need to be okay with me sharing the story. Cause you know, I I'm sensitive that he was a player in this. And, and as you can see, when I tell the story, it's really from, you know, who I was being in that relationship that contributed to the breakdown. Yes, he's got his his story and his side and his his view of it. And I remember I was speaking at an event in London and I shared the story and he was taking pictures for me. My husband's a photographer. And uh, so the ladies, it was a it was a, a women's event in London and they called him up on stage to tell his side. I'm like, oh shit. Wow. He's gonna divorce me now because he's not a public speaker. And they were very sweet and kind and loving. Um, wow. It's like part of me just wanted to protect him. Yes. Uh, from like, oh my God, you didn't sign up for this. I'm so sorry, honey. But he handled it like a champ. <laughs> That's amazing. It yeah. really is amazing. And I love that you just talk. I love hearing how you didn't hide it, that you were honest about it. And then, and therefore you got so the support around you that you were asking about. One of the things that I was most impressed with my sister and the crisis that uh, sh she went through where her husband uh, three years ago went to jail and she, she did not, she just told everyone, like she did not hide it. She was not embarrassed. And the outpouring of support and love was phenomenal to witness because she just not for a minute tried to hide it. And I think that's a really powerful lesson for the, like what we were talking about earlier about everybody's been through trauma. Everybody has a story. Um, what was the quote you said that your story is somebody else's survival guide, survival guide. Right. And so I, I love 
I just wanted to underscore that because I think our initial reaction is, is when things happen is to hide them, to be embarrassed. I mean, obviously sometimes people need to process stuff a little, but you know, um, so I just really acknowledge you for that. And I want to thank your hubby for uh, suggesting that you be a relationship coach <laughs> because um, it, so let's transition in this like last segment that we have is like, how has all this informed like who you are today in your business and with your mission? Well, you know, the energy that we contribute to our relationships is more important than anything else. And whether it's our business relationships, our family relationships, our intimate relationships. And so relationships is the foundation of everything we do, right? And yes. so, you know, I became a certified high performance coach almost three years ago now. And, um, and it's really about consistency and setting yourself up to win. You know, we talk about success without sacrifice and you're right, Lisa, that's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. And it's not that you have to sacrifice everything, but you will have to sacrifice some things. You're going to have to give up being right. You're going to have to give up being a workaholic. You're going to have to give up being a people pleaser and saying yes to everyone, you're going to have to give up putting yourself last. That's what you've got to sacrifice. Love that. Yes. yes. And yes. so we all talk about, I got to do more, do more, do more and be more so that we can have more. And now it's really about not just doing less for the sake of doing less, but really prioritizing. And so how this comes into my life and my business is around energy. You know, my coach, Brendan Bouchard has this quote, like a power plant doesn't have energy. It generates energy. So how do we generate the energy to show up as our best selves? You know, how do we set ourselves up to win? And so I'm all about, like, I had that toxic energy that Nobody but I wanted to be around because mommy was busy. Like, are you busy? Are you busy? Can we come in? Like, ah, I'm like in the middle of stuff. Like you can even feel it when I'm talking about it because I get back into it. <laughs> but um, really having that uh, centered, grounded energy for me. And I've learned um, the routines that set me that set me up to show up as my best self. I call it, you know, powerful ways of being, um, how I listen, how present I am. Um, taking time for me is not selfish. It's part of the productivity of my day is to have the energy so that my people were getting my leftovers. Mm. my job was taking my energy my business was taking my energy and by the time I got to the people I loved the most that I was doing it for I had no energy left for them and it showed and so now I got my priorities straight and know that the energy in my relationships is the most important energy for me and as I'm hearing you talk about this I'm thinking about your work in the area of race. Mm. And I, I bet that you wouldn't have had the capacity to step in during our awakening in this country if you hadn't done that work first to get your priorities straight and create space and have, you know, taking care of yourself be number one. Like, because, I mean, you wound up creating a whole allyship 
membership and you wrote you know, this amazing book called The Intimacy of Race, which one of my favorite parts is like, it's like the stupid things white people say or <laughs> things white people say and shouldn't. Yeah, things <laughs> white people say and shouldn't, um, you know, and I, I just, I know that, you know, and, and I met you in the context of my work in that area. And so I was just like, why are you doing this more? And this is so amazing. And, and would you, would you, do you agree that um, if you hadn't done that groundwork that you might not have been able to be available or stepped into your role? I wouldn't have been able to do anything because I was, burning <laughs> my, I was burning myself out. You know, my body was breaking down, you know, stress is, is, is the part way, of yeah. disease and inflammation and all of that. I, you know, it was, it was just bad all around. And not that I was horrible, horrible, but you know, it stacks, it builds up on. Oh, um, totally. And I've um, been there, <laughs> you know, and, but what I will say about the work that I do is, you know, stepping into the work of allyship, especially supporting white and white presenting people to have a safe place for, resources for learning how to tackle the the difficult conversations or even how to talk about race and be generous and listening and um you know and getting rid of the the blame shame and guilt that so many of us are feeling for different reasons if i i it helps me because this work is emotional labor and it's draining sometimes more than others it's frustrating why are we still why are we in this place and what's come up for me is a lot of memories uh that I've ignored or suppressed I mean I often tell people like I didn't even look at the George Floyd Floyd's murder tape because I was numb to the police brutality and it was like oh another one oh another one but then I realized this one's not leaving the news so soon like what's going on and then I got curious because I don't often watch the news to that depth and when I saw it something broke inside me where it was my awakening to do more and I couldn't do business as usual and you know you really can't be a high performer unless you have some inclusive intelligence or cultural intelligence to know that, you know, to create win-wins for everybody and to know the enrichment and fulfillment that you get from having inclusivity and diversity in in your lives and business. My, my whole life has been inclusive, you know, whether it's European side of the family, you know, you know, watching my husband in the ghetto with my family is, is really fun to watch because he's just so adaptive and, and so great at that, making sure that my children had diverse experiences because I remember what it was like for me being the only Black in, in school and in a lot of other situations and in, in even work and in graduating dental hygiene. Like, really, that that's, you know, that's a blonde housewife profession that they can do part-time and you know here I was yeah but my point in sharing that with you is I've got to set myself up to take care of myself to have the energy it's like a, a race right you've seen cars race and the lead car always gets off to have a pit stop before the <laughs> before the tire goes flat or before the engine cracks before they're even out of gas and I remember when I was watching it as, you know, not knowing. It's like, aren't they going to lose their place? Aren't they going to lose the lead? Why are they getting off now? But it's the 
the team that helps you perform better, that self-care on that high-performing car that allows it to finish the race, win the race without crashing and burning. How are we setting ourselves up so that we don't crash and burn? Yes. Right? I love that metaphor. As you were like race cars, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, the first, the first one is the first one of pit stop. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard that part of the metaphor before. I like that. So you've yeah. got to set your pit stops up throughout the day. So, so true. You have, you're re-energizing. I want my pit crew. I want my pit crew at the ready when I make yeah. a pit stop. <laughs> well, those are your coaches, your mentors, <laughs> what you're reading, what you're putting in your brain. They're all a part of your performance so that you can show up as your best self at home, at work, in your communities. And, you know, it's, it's so vital that we don't put ourselves last. Yes. That the morning routine is the time you have to set yourself up to perform your best for the day. Like even eating, like most of us, most people, you know, when I get my clients and start working with them, they're eating at their desk. They eat when they get hungry. They got to remind themselves to eat. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to eat before you get hungry so that you're eating for fuel. You're yes, eating I so love that it. you can cover and have the energy. Because by the time you get hangry, it's the chocolate. Oh, we have a chocolate drawer downstairs. It's the chocolate drawer. That's the first thing I'm going for before I look. Okay, now before I go in the fridge. It's like, I need that quick thing. <laughs> not me. Chocolate does not help me when I'm hungry. So that wouldn't be what I'm craving. So, so I, I'm going to definitely put uh, links to, you know, have your, your links to your book and all of your stuff um, in our show notes. So I'm super excited about that. So just as like a, like a final thing, you, uh, you looked at the GFR commandments as I ask all my guests to, mm -hmm. and you resonated really with GFR commandment number four, which is trust that your struggle serves your mission. And I, the confession question kind of says it all, which is how will what I learned from this struggle serve me and my clients and how have past struggles served me? So is there anything you would like to add to what you obviously already, you obviously already told a story that vividly exhibits um, you trusting that your struggle serves your mission. Is there anything else you would, you want to add to support like that choice of GFR commandment and, and what it really meant to you? Well, you grow through what you go through. <laughs> and, you know, that was a huge opportunity for me to grow in such a way that it literally became my mission to make sure that my high driven, high achieving, not necessarily high performance, because that's the consistency, that's the both and while having healthy relationships, healthy mood, healthy life, <laughs> all of that, right, and not sacrificing that part. You know, what I went through is my mission to make sure that they don't go through it, whether it's their relationship with their, their family, their spouse, business partners, clients, is to really set yourself up to create win-wins. Because most of us think that we're trying to balance, you know, our lives and balance does not mean equal. And so don't have that image in your head of scales that are equally balanced. Know that certain times require more attention to be a priority than others. So set your priorities, get clear on what you wanna do, set your priorities and have your boundaries because that's your responsibility to create those boundaries, to communicate the boundaries clear and then make sure that you have a team to help you support the boundaries that you set 
for your priorities. Because when your priorities are clear, your decision-making becomes easy and you're actually up to 30 times more likely to achieve success. Nice. Well, I am, I am happy for your girls to have this mama in their lives and the example that you are so obviously setting for them every day in your relationship and in your profession. And so happy to have you on the show and get to learn from you and get to have you in my orbit, Eva. <laughs> Yay. Thank you for having me. It was such an honor and such a fun conversation. We could talk all day about this stuff, I know, right? <laughs> I know, right? Yes. You're very, very welcome. It was my pleasure. So you all now get to have access to Eva's amazing little resource book here called Six Powerful Ways of Being That Foster Effective Communication and Connection in Your Relationships. It's a really cool little guidebook. The link is in the show notes. And it's a great way, of course, to get connected with Eva, follow along in her journey and get to know her as well as you would want to get to know her. Her favorite GFR commandment was trust that your struggle serves your mission. And as you got to hear, she is just all up for that. <laughs> and I'm just still like, just so bowing down to her uh, amazing awarenesses and that are that were like immediate um, in her journey. And I strive to be that immediate <laughs> with all the stuff that looks really terrible that's happening so that I can quickly harness the, the learning and have that perspective on it. If you're in the GFR squad, I look forward to seeing you there. We are diving deep into those GFR commandments and also having some fun conversations. And it's really fun to, for me to be connected with my listeners and people that are really wanting to get out of their own way and make sure they're, you know, they're doing that. And for only $20 a month, it's a, a great way to stay connected and be committed to that conversation. So grab your GFR commandments if you haven't yet at gfr.life forward slash 12C. Join us in the squad. I'm giving you my like New Jersey accent. Join us in the squad and we'll have some coffee and we'll talk <laughs> and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of these amazing stories that will motivate and inspire you and keep you on mission. Over and out for now. <laughs>